Wonderful. Isn't God good? So amazed and so blessed by all God's doing here and the team that he's building, your team, to help guide us as a church to move forward. Um, There's been lots of new appointments recently, as well as our interns. We've had a real reconfiguration of our pastoral team, headed up by Des. He came out of retirement yesterday, though, and played the guitar in the wedding of May, and uh, so he's still going to sing on occasions, but Des is now coordinating our pastoral ministry, and then Joy and Steve are coordinating our pastoral ministry through our life groups. Just amazing couple, and Liana is also overseeing our families for pastoring, so it feels just like a precious team that God's bringing together. And then our worship, um, as Des has stood down from the worship, we have appointed, we had to appoint three people to fill his shoes. So that's how, uh, I said I'd get that in there. Um, So Noah, you've seen Lee this morning, he's going to, he's now part-time coordinating the worship leaders. And then Tendi is coordinating the music directors and the musicians. And then Suze is managing the administration of our worship team. So it's just like, it's just, it feels like dream team is just building together. And God's good, isn't he? We, you know, we've had loads of change, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> oh, feels like I touched on a sore point there. We've had, <laughs> we've had loads of change. Like, I look out, and some of you, I'd never met you before sort of a year ago. And on Monday, we have an amazing time in our prayer gathering downstairs. It won't be on tomorrow because it's a bank holiday uh, for the funeral. But um, last week, we had to put the chairs too deep in the room in order to fit everybody in. And I'm looking around and thinking, gosh, I reckon at least 50% of people here wouldn't have been part of Rediscover a year ago. And so welcome all those who've joined us, all that God's brought among us to be part of this dream team of what God's doing. All those who are thinking about joining, there's a big welcome to you. And a special thank you to all of those who've been a part of this church for years. We honor you, your legacy, your faithfulness, your prayers, your giving. You are amazing. And I wonder, could we just give each other a clap and say, well done. Well done for all you're doing. We love it. Let me take you straight to a Bible verse. Philippians says this. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. The Apostle Paul who wrote this knew that there was a that to take hold of. He knew what his life was about. He knew what he was called to do, and he knew why he was doing it. And I want to ask some questions today in a new series we're looking at just for two weeks called What We Do and Why We Do It. And the reason for this is that there's a lot of people been asking a lot of why questions over the last couple of years. Because in many ways, there are habits that you and I would have had naturally formed into us over many years. And it acted like a firebreaker when we went into lockdown. And some of those things that we had done for years, we suddenly were enforced to stop doing. And as we re-emerge out of the other side of that season... 
We don't have those habits built into us. And what we need to do is to learn to establish a good answer to the why did we do them question in order to decide whether we pick them up again or not. So the COVID period broke down this sort of sense of habits, but there are lots of people that are asking the good question of why. Now, I had a little look online for some maybe why questions that people have asked, and I found some funny answers. Would you like to know some of the why questions that were quite humorous online? For example, why is the word abbreviated so long? Why is the third hand on our watch called the second hand? Why is that time of the day when the traffic is, is at its worst and slowest, do we call it rush hour? What about this one? If you've got stocks and shares, why is the man who invests all your money for you called a broker? And this is the most concerning of the lot. Why... When you go to see your doctor, why is what, they're called, what they do called practice? <laughs> Not my words. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at some of the things that we do and why we do them. Now, before I do this, this is not a vision Sunday. We're not going to talk about the vision of the church, but it's important that I just put before you just a summary of what our vision is. If you saw our wonderful artwork that one of our young adults, Sophie, has done on the way in. Isn't it beautiful? And um, you would have walked past images of the Southwest on the way in and names of the Southwest. And in the middle is our vision statement. It says, to reveal in the glory of God to the Southwest and beyond. We believe God's put a mandate on the church to be a resource and a blessing to the kingdom of God in the Southwest, not just the city. That's our vision. Then that's one arm. In the other arm, then we've got our values. And these are really important because they undergird how we do things. And so we've got three summarized values that we hold to. The first one is that we live courageously. We can't be timid. We've got the hope of glory in our hearts. We live courageously because we're Bible-believing, spirit-filled people of God. The second thing is that we love extravagantly because God is not tempered with his love. God is not stingy with his love and we're his people and we love extravagantly. If it doesn't fit that category, then we're not fulfilling our values. And thirdly, we thrive authentically. We want to make sure that we're not pretending to thrive. We want to make sure that we're not lots of plastic fruits of the Spirit around the place, but it's real, it's alive, and it's true, and we understand what thriving authentically means. So there's our vision, there's our values, but what we're holding are the things that we do, and each of those things we do should have an answer to why do we do them. So hopefully, although not given the time that I used in the first service, much hope of this happening in fullness, um, over the next two weeks, I'm looking to tackle these topics. That we facilitate encounters. We release disciple makers. Not just disciples. You're called to be a disciple maker. More of that next week. Yeah. We encourage the five-fold ministry graces. Yeah. We've had lots of that over the last seven weeks. If you haven't caught that series, I advise you to watch online. It's essential. 
Fourthly, we extend the kingdom of God. And fifthly, we collaborate. We're going to look at those, hopefully in summary, next week. But the one we're going to look at today is that we facilitate encounters. Because I believe that God is a God of encounter. He's not just a God who wants to be talked about or learned about. He's a God. He wants us to meet him. He wants to engage with us. He wants to connect with us. And under this title of We Facilitate Encounters, we've created these few words. We gather in groups, both large and small, to worship and encounter the presence of God, his word and his people. We hunger for more of the Lord, longing for deeper intimacy and a greater weight of his glory. We expect miracles and healings and signs and wonders and deliverance and restoration and salvation whenever we meet. We gather to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. That's what we do. That's why we gather. That's why we believe that God is a God of encounter. Now, I'm so grateful to God that I have the privilege in my life of having a vibrant daily ability to enter into the presence yes. of the Most High Amen. God. Yeah, thank you. Daily. Thank you. Every moment. I can live as a person of the presence of God. Yes. I can live completely surrounded by his presence wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. And I think to contrast just how incredible a privilege and a reality this is, I need to take you back to the Old Testament and for you to be reminded or understand that the privilege of entering into the presence of the Most High God was a privilege that only one person in the entire nation of Israel once a year was able to experience. As they stepped, as the high priest stepped into the most holy of holies, they encountered the presence of God. They had to have bells on them because if the presence of God was so overpowering and the bells stopped ringing, they would drag them out because no one else was able to go and retrieve them. But the privilege and the opportunity to enter the presence of God is now no longer delegated to pastors or kings or rulers or priests or those who have religious training. The privilege of entering the presence of God is a daily reality for you and for me. And so we don't gather in church to meet with God. This is not where he lives. If God has given out his address, it's not rediscover church building on Northern Hay Street. It's rediscover people where you are. You are God's postcode. You are where he resides and where he lives. And so as he resides in us, that we get to have regular encounters with the Lord. And I love that we're in good company and we see throughout the scriptures, name after name, person after person, who encountered, who walked, who experienced the voice and had encounters with God, whether it was prophetic words or whether it was people just hearing the voice of the Lord speak some direction into them. And these people, they inspire us today that 
we have this privilege where there are no limitations and there are no rations. On the balcony after the service, I think there might be some wedding cake left from yesterday from our sister May that got married, which is a beautiful occasion just to see her just move into that season of her life. But I, I know this, that the cake had to be rationed and cut into pieces. There's not enough to go around. So get in there quickly if there's any left after the first service. But the presence of God is not rationed. It's not, God's not saying, ooh, there's a lot of people here this morning. I'll have to give them a little bit. God is fully God in his people, in his sanctuaries, in his temples. You are his postcode. And so if you come to church dry and you say, oh, I, I need to go to church because I want to meet with the Lord. I need the Lord to touch my life. Now, I want to on one hand applaud your desire to come and be with God's people, but also I want to correct something in you because God does not live here. You bring him with you. I bring him with me. The realities are the power and the presence of God is demonstrated when we gather together when we are living a lifestyle of living in his presence. You see, there is a lack of signs and wonders and healings and miraculous within the body of Christ today. But it's nothing to do with the size of the church. It's nothing to do with the structure of the worship team. It's nothing to do with how well someone leads. It's everything to do with how watered the people of God are. It's everything to do with that. All of us, we're meant to come to church, to gather together, gather as the people of God with the artesian well of the Spirit of the Lord overflowing within us. We're meant to be vibrantly exploding and overflowing with the presence of the Lord in our lives. And when we gather together, it should be like the fountain of fountains because the presence of God is oozing through all of the people of God. But instead, we allow the cynicism of this world to curtail our hunger and our thirst. We allow the busyness of this world, the affections of this world, to bring us to gather together as really dry people. Yeah. Now, I know there are some desert times that we all go through in our lives, and it's amazing how much we're growing at those times. I'm not saying that when the presence of the Lord is our desire and our, and our main focus in our lives, when we seek God first, I'm not saying that it feels like we're perpetually living in revival at that moment. I've had some tough times in my life. Some of the, the darkest, the most difficult periods of my time. I've, I felt like I could say, God, where are you? But I tell you this, when you keep looking to God during those times, what you're actually doing is you're digging a deeper well. So when the next season comes, you have greater capacity for the Spirit of God to reside in you. Because he's clearing out some junk out of our lives. And so, you know, the church, the body of Christ is meant to be a people that are overflowing. Now, at the beginning of that statement, I mentioned that we gather in groups both large and small. What's all that about? Well, over the two services here on a Sunday, we're quite a big group. And, you know, some people might say, do you know what? I've been coming a few months now. I've been coming for years and I don't know anybody. Hey, listen, a couple of days ago, 
we, um, Joy and Steve, gathered a few people together to explore with them whether they might be trained up as life group leaders. It was a wonderful night. People came and gave it their time, and it was a beautiful evening. And I started that evening off by asking people two questions. The first question was this. What can you do in a small group that you can't do in a big group? Their answers were brilliant. And the second question was this. What can you do in a big group that you can't do in a small group? And again, their answers were brilliant. In fact, I made a note of some of the things that they said. Let me tell you what they said. Small groups. In a small group, and we have life groups, that you can get to know people at a deeper level. You can interact and discuss topics easier together. You can know what is going on in each other's lives and look out for each other. You can sharpen one another out of relationship and you can hold each other to account. Say, did you do what you said you were going to do? Did you forgive that person like you said they were going to forgive them? Did you encourage them like you said you were? Did you share your faith like you said you were going to? You can do that in a small group. Here, you get lost. Don't get lost. I mean, you know, you get lost in the crowd. It can be a bit anonymous. Um, you can step out and grow in giftings in small groups and grow in your ministry graces in small groups. You can be missionally active in the area where you have your small group. Some of our life groups, they reach in their communities and they're finding innovative ways that they can connect the hope of the gospel with the people who live around them. I thought that was a great list. Well done, all those who were there. I then asked, okay, what can you do in a large group that you can't do in a small group? What can you do in a large celebration like this? And they said this. You can join together with one heart and vision. There's a unity. You can know that you're a part of a bigger community. There are resources, giftings, and abilities that are joined together for greater impact. Nietzsche and I started a new church off a number of years ago, quite a few years before we came here. And it was started off in our home, and we had a lovely group of people. You know, there was all of those values and qualities I mentioned in the small group. They were all there. We had great relationship. We understood what was going on in each other's lives. We encouraged each other. We blessed each other. We had a desire to reach our communities. It was powerful. It was wonderful. But when a big need came to our attention, we didn't have the resources to attend to it. We felt a bit impotent, really, in regards to some of the largeness of the issues we were facing around us. We just felt we don't have the ability to do anything about this. I love that we bring our resources together as the body of Christ. And we get involved in some big things in society. You know, we can speak truth to power because we represent, as far as the politicians are concerned, we represent quite a big, sizable community in the city. We can, we can have Christmas programs to give out 1,500 ampers over the Christmas period. We can do things like dream about planting 100 new churches over the next 10 years. We can dream those things because together we, we strengthen one another and we add our resources and we make things possible that would have otherwise not been possible. I love that about the big group. Also, somebody commented, it's much easier and it feels much more effective to worship in a large group setting with music. Like, I don't know how popular we would be with people's neighbours if there was a drum kit in every life group. You know, just having the ability for the instrumentation and that atmosphere of faith, 
that environment of encouragement, that one sound where, you know, if you don't like the crowds, then I, I just need to warn you, heaven's going to be pretty busy. Yeah. It's going to be pretty loud up there. The Bible does say in Revelation there'll be half an hour of silence in heaven, but that's it. The rest is going to be pretty wild. And it's going to be all sorts of every nation, tribe, and culture worshipping and honouring the Lord. There's going to be loads of noise. It's going to be an amazing occasion. And there are going to be billions of people. And, I, and they also mentioned that the word of God, there can be a clarity when we're gathered together around the centrality of God's word. You see, both small and large groups are like two sides of a coin. Both offer something important and unique, but both need each other. That there are things you can get out of one that you can't get out of the other. And, you know, I have to really just try to, from a pastor's heart, just love you on this. I, over the years, I've had people say, I've been coming for months or years, and I don't know anybody. Well, you slip in at the back when the service has already started, and you leave before the song finishes. You don't go and speak to anybody when you get a tea or a coffee. You don't join any life groups. Hello. Come on. Come on. You have to invest in relationships. You have to yes. do it. Yes. Don't give me I'm an introvert. So am I. Yes, he is. And I have the privilege of serving God in this capacity. Yes. Don't give me that stuff about your personality. Don't tell me that no one really wants to get to know you. They do. And you need to get to know other people as well. Come on, church. We've got a vision that all of you will be in a life group. Everybody. We've got a lot to do. And join Steve doing an amazing job at training up. In a few weeks' time, we're probably going to have more life groups than we've ever had in the church. It's going to be wonderful. But we need you to invest your time and your heart and you could carry on coming on Sunday and you'll get all the benefits of the large but you won't get those things that you get in the small. And if you just go to the small, you won't get the benefits of what you get in the large. We need both. And you see, when we are people of the presence and we're people who live in the presence of God in our lives and wherever we gather, whether it's one of those small groups all those large groups, how can we not overflow with God? Amen. You know, if we're not going into those places as people of a presence, the conversation will descend to the lowest common denominator of conversation. It will descend to how your week has gone. And that's a great question, by the way, to ask someone to show interest in their lives and to care and to pray for them. There's nothing wrong with that question. But if you get stuck there, Every group should end up with, but look how wonderful he is. Look how great my God is. Look how awesome he is. That's how all our groups should end. Because we all have tough times. And we're there for each other. We love each other. We don't deny those things that we're going through. But look at the Lord. Look what the Lord has done. It says we hunger for more of the Lord, longing for deeper intimacy and a greater weight of his glory. I've been, as I'm sure many of you have, deeply impacted by the loss of our queen and the impact of the grief on the nation and the nations. 
We have seen a five-mile queue form. Only in Britain could that happen. <laughs> Five miles snaking through London just to get to Westminster Hall to have a fleeting glance of the coffin where our late queen lies. Five miles, 24 hours, some people have been queuing. And when the press speak to these people in the queue, I've not heard anybody say anything like this. This is disgusting. This is awful. They should have done something better rather than make us queue for 24 hours. She's my queen. I'm entitled to go and see her. We haven't heard any of those stories. In fact, quite the opposite. It feels like those who have been queuing the longest feel like they're paying more respect. They're saying there's the least we could do. It's the least we could do for all she's done for the country. It's the least. Just if it takes 24 hours, it's okay. It's worth it. In fact, before I proceed, shall we pray for our nation right now? Because tomorrow, the broadcast of the funeral is going to go out to more homes than any other broadcast in living history. And I've been praying for the Dean of Westminster Cathedral. I've been praying for the Archbishop of Canterbury that they would show the courage and the tenacity that they've shown over the last week to lead the nation to the promise of Jesus and salvation. Lord, we thank you that you comfort those who mourn. And we know that in the nation right now, our hearts feel tender Thank you that you are a God of all comfort. You wrap yourself around us. And Lord, we know at the softness of heart that there is in the nation now, that what those soft, hurting, broken hearts need is the answer of Jesus. And we pray tomorrow for that funeral that the word of God would be declared boldly and clearly. And we pray that it would not be written off by society as a novelty or as another form of ancient tradition that has no relevance to the present. But I pray that as your word goes out, it will sink deep into the hearts and the minds and the consciousness of our nation. And Lord, we pray that there would be a mighty harvest of people with open hearts and open minds receiving the word of God and responding In the name of Jesus, Lord, we know that it's not your will that any will perish. It is your will that each person in this nation, each person in the nations of the world will be watching this broadcast tomorrow. That it's your will that all of them will discover your life. So Lord, we pray eyes will be opened and hearts will see and understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Back to the queue. I've not heard anybody complain. I'm not a good queuer. I'm, I'm, a pretty, uh, I'm a pretty patient person until it comes to queues. Like when I go to supermarkets, I'm looking up and down the aisles. I'm in my mind, I'm weighing up how much shopping they've got in their trolley. So if there's, if there's three people in one queue, but two in the other, I don't just look at the numbers, I look at the trolley. 
Look at the trolley. Are they carrying baskets? You know, do they look like they're going to take forever to get their card out of their wallet? You know? Does the, does the checkout operator look like their own work experience? You know, I'm doing all these things. So I, don't want to, I don't want to wait a moment longer than I need to. And there is something about that culture that we have of instant and convenient that has translated to our walk with Jesus. And we got people queuing for 24 hours with a good heart and good spirit to see someone who they want to pay respects to and honor. And yet, Jesus said it this way. Could you not tarry one hour? Could you not pray one hour? Just one hour? Just one? He said that to his disciples who spent three years following his miracles. Could you not pray one hour? I, you know, I'm, I'm sweating drops of blood here with what I'm about to go through. And you're having a kip. Come on, guys. Could you not just give one hour? And I believe the heart of God is like that to the church today. Church. We've got people queuing up 24 hours to see someone who has left this world. And yet... We have the opportunity and the privilege to come and visit someone who is alive and resurrected and present among his people. And, well, I prayed for five minutes once and it didn't work. What? Lord, stir up our hearts to seek after you. Stir up our hearts, I pray. What are we prepared to do to demonstrate our hunger to meet the living King of Kings in our lives? What is the call to you? Is it to get out of bed? Is it to reorientate your daily rhythms and routines? Is it to challenge the order, the priority of the hobbies that are in your life? In order to stir above everything else, to, as the scripture says, to seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. First. doesn't say other things are not possible to hold in life, but if they try to contend for first place, then they take us away from growing in God. Maybe part of, it's not queuing 24 hours to get into the building, but maybe it's overlooking offenses. Maybe it's letting go of cynicism. You know, cynicism. I felt a real warning about this as I was preparing. Praying about what to bring today. I find that cynicism is the most crafty of deceptions. Cynicism it enters through the most tiny of doors in our hearts. And this tiny seed begins to grow into full-blown judgmentalism. It, when it flourishes in our life, it stops any of us from stepping into the things of God. Because... It's impossible to live with that toxicity in our spirit. Amen. And it's really important that we may not be queuing, but we do have to, we do have to outwalk these things. Yes. And we do have to learn to move in a direction that's going to take us towards a place of freedom. 
I have to say that some who profess Jesus seem more committed to following their favorite football team or sports team than they do to the Lord. They'd never miss a game. They'd never miss buying the new latest shirt. They've got all the subscription channels on their TV. And it's an obsession to their life. No, there's nothing wrong with following sport. I enjoy going to watch sport. But if we give passion to something else more than we give to Christ, God says it's time to reorder. It's time to recalibrate. You shall have no gods before me. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you, when we do gather together as those artesian wells of the Spirit, that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water as the temples of God, don't just show up. Show up hungry. Show up desirous to be the best worshipper in the room. Someone has to be. Oh, that's not my style, Mark. I'm not asking about your style. I'm asking about your heart. Why don't we say... God, I, I just, I'm going to give you more than anyone else here of my heart and my desires and my dreams. No, I don't want to make a competition out of it. But make an aspiration rather than just saunter into church on a Sunday morning. And I know what it's like, you know, arguing in the car on the way. Everything goes wrong on a Sunday, doesn't it? Somebody I was speaking to at the end of the first service, they said, oh, so we were late this morning. I said, you were so late. I thought you were early for the second service. They said, oh, it's been a nightmare today. You know, everything's gone wrong. But I, you know, I know that loads of things contend with our lives. But come desire us to give God everything. Do you know, I found that the best encounter services I've ever been to, there's not... Uh, there's not something that's about those who are speaking or those who are leading worship or the building it's held in. That there's a common denominator. And the common denominator is, in every situation, I gave my best. Come on. That's right. yeah. that's Honestly, the band might sing, not sing one song you like. They might not be in a key you can sing. But if you give God your absolute best, I guarantee you, right. you will encounter... Something fresh of the Lord in worship. We gather groups big and small to encounter the Lord and to seek after him. And I just, you know, this verse in Hebrews 11, it says, the Lord rewards those who earnestly seek after him. What's he worth to you? It's a tough question, isn't it? What's he worth to you? Would you, would you walk days to meet him? Would you queue for days for a glimpse of his glory? Would you tarry an hour in prayer? Would you lay aside your preferences in order to take something fresh from the Lord? And then it says, look at this word. Expect. We expect miracles, healings, signs and wonders, deliverance, restoration and salvation whenever could add in and wherever we meet we expect it not because we're anything special but because we're filled with someone who is special 
Wherever Jesus was when he walked on the earth, there was, there was never anything beige about him, was there? It was never just a, a turgid experience. It was, you know, either offended people, drove the crowds away or attracted them. There were people that, would, that were walking for days to go and see him. Some of those were the cynics, and they were walking for days to see him. There's nothing beige about Jesus. He's full of color and dynamism and life and hope and vitality. You know, we often in our services pray for people who've got needs, and, and I love that. It's, it's a value for us as a church. First of all, I don't want anybody coming to any of our gatherings and carrying a need and a burden and not feel like someone's come alongside them to help support and pray for them. So that's intentional. Also, another intentional value is that we don't believe we have anything special at the front to give. We're all priests. That's right. We're all part of the priesthood of God. Amen. So we minister, we encourage you to pray for each other. Amen. That's intentional. But I want to invite us to step a level up, church. And that is that when we pray, to expect. Amen. Expect. Because I think we got a little passive. And maybe we're coming dry. Yes. Maybe we're showing up with our hair freshly out of the rollers. <laughs> Thanks for that. Jonathan, you are allowed to say that because you fit the same category, my friend. Not us. But for us as the people of God, when we know that we're filled with him, we know what he can do. And we're not doing a therapy session when we pray for someone and lay hands on them. We are doing what that moment where the beggar outside the gate beautiful said to the apostles, can I have something? And they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we give you. Do you know what you have to give? When you're filled and overflowing. How could we have anything but God encounters when we know who it is that we're ministering? Is there anyone, I know we prayed for people this morning, but I wonder whether we could do an activity right now. If you have a need in your life, be it physical, circumstantial, and you believe that Jesus can move that mountain in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you just do that around the room? First of all, can I say thank you for trusting us and standing? I know that takes a lot of guts, it's a lot of courage, and we don't take that lightly. We know how big a thing that will feel. But it's worth it. 
It's worth stepping out and dying to some of our internal feelings to step out into something new in God. So well done, step one. Step two, now an agreement around this room. Do we believe that any of these people have an issue that is bigger than God? Really think about that now. Cancers? Depression? Need for breakthrough? Habitual habits that have been holding people back for years? Can the Lord's hand really change these situations? See, if you're thinking about what am I going to pray, what words can I use... That is a distraction from you setting your eyes upon the one who can change it. Now I'm going to invite us to do something that feels familiar, but I'm going to ask us to do it differently. And that is, in a moment, those who are near these people, I'm going to ask you to stand around them and lay hands on them, gently and appropriately. It's important to put those words in. And everyone else who can't get near them, I'm going to invite you to stretch your hands out in their direction. And I'm going to ask us, to expect, by faith, not because we've done anything to deserve this, but because he has done everything to make it possible. So let faith arise. Faith is not squeezing your eyes together and saying, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's not, it's not repeating a mantra. It is simply saying, I do believe you could change this, Lord. And we trust you. And out of that confidence and that trust, I'm going to ask you to prophesy and to declare over their lives, be healed in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Now, if we had more time, we'd ask, what is your need? And we'd speak specifically into that. We don't have the time to do that, but it's important that we all step into this next bit. So, Father, stir faith in our hearts. Church, if you want to operate in that faith, get around these people. Speak Jesus over them. Expect. Please make sure there's nobody that stood on their own. If you have to move around the building. We expect, oh God, that there are miracles, healings, signs and wonders and deliverance. That there's restoration and salvation. We expect it, oh God. expect by faith in the son of God in the life giver the healer the provider the God of breakthrough we expect and we believe 
we expect sickness to bow the knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Submit and surrender to the King of Kings. Tumors, bow down before the King of Kings. Every bondage, bow down, submit and be gone in Jesus' name. We expect deliverance. We expect it. Hallelujah.